0: Father, we thank you for the abundance of your grace that you continually, continually, Lord, reveal yourself through worship, through fellowship, through your word, and revealing yourself. We have a better understanding of the great grace that you have bestowed upon us. We who are unworthy, yet you chose to love us, while we were yet enemies. You chose to redeem us. You chose to continually be patient along suffering, drawing us out of the darkness and into the light. You, through your power, brought us from death into life. And we continue to be in awe of who you are and what you've done. And Lord, we could be reminded of this Sunday after Sunday, day after day. And just fall on our faces, fall on our knees and worship you and awe and surrender. and Lord, it would never be enough. It would never be enough to declare the, our heart, our gratitude for what you have done for us. And so Father, we pray that as we look to your word this morning, one, that you would just give me grace, Lord, that you would get me through without hacking and coughing and that you would allow the people not to be distracted if I do, and but Father, that through this your word would go forth in power. And, and it would go forth and they would receive what it is that you have for us, your church. So knit us to your heart. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us, your church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, saints, if you would um, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 16. And our text for this morning is verse 28. And in verse 28, it's just, as we look at it, we're going to see that basically it's a very generic proclamation of the whole redemption process of God. And this is the plan that that God had, had orchestrated and had planned perfectly from the beginning of the foundation of the world. Before we were even created, God had this plan perfectly set in place. And Jesus makes this declaration in in verse 28 of John chapter 16. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Now, verse 29, the disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. The disciples are able to clue in to this little bit of revelation. Keep in mind that as we look to what Jesus has been saying, I want to give you a little background. We looked at this on on Wednesday, but I want to share this portion just so you can understand really what's going on here as we look at this passage that Jesus makes this declaration as far as verse 28. But in verse 16, it says, a little while and you will not see me. Again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. It's pretty open, pretty cut and dry. It says, you're not going to see me, then you are going to see me because I'm going to be at the Father. And we can grasp that. We can understand that. Well, then, verse 17, some disciples said among themselves, what does this city says to us? A little while you'll not see me. A little while you will see me because you're going to my Father. They're clueless. They are absolutely clueless to what he's saying. I'm going to be with you a little while. Then I won't be with you a little while because I'm going to go to the Father. And as they're doing so, verse 18, they said to one another, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he's saying. That's amazing that... I find this absolutely fascinating that verse seventeen makes this declaration, and then some of the disciples said among themselves, they, they didn't say to the Lord, they didn't ask him, they're not asking him, they're just talking among themselves and and they're they're not going to the Lord with their lack of understanding, but they go to each other who don't have understanding, and as as the Lord is there so graciously verse 19, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and they said to him, are you inquiring among yourselves what I said? And of course, then he goes through and he makes that statement where we are here in verse 28. He said, I came forth from the Father, and I have come into the world. Again, I leave the world, and I go to my Father. Now, I don't know how much different that is than what he just said. But they, amazingly, verse 29, they said, See, now you are speaking plainly, verse 29, and using no-figure speech. Now we're sure that you know all things. I'm clueless to what it is that their, their minds have now received. Jesus here is giving a very generic proclamation, but... In this generic proclamation, they're able to somehow receive a greater understanding. Where in verse 30 He said, Now we're sure that you know all things. You have no need that anyone should question you. But by this we believe that you came forth from God. Amazingly, we see here that Jesus in this proclamation does share a very generic understanding of the gospel what he says is this take a look at verse 24 if you would with me he says I came forth from the father he talks about him being eternal beautiful beautiful understanding where we could grasp more than that but he just simply says I'm eternal I came forth from the father in other words I'm fully God then he goes on and he says this not only have I come forth from the father I've come into the world Not only does he talk about his being eternal, that he came forth from the God, that he's fully God, but he says, But I came into the world. There's an incarnation. I'm fully man. And so he he declares that he's eternal. He declares that this eternal God became incarnate, that he became a man. And then he says this, And I leave the world. Well, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to go to the grave. And, and so he says, I got, to, I got to leave the world. He doesn't say how. He just says, I'm going to leave the world. But then he says, after he says, I'm going to leave the world, he says, and again, I leave the world. And he says, I'm going to go to the Father. That there's going to be a resurrection and there's going to be an ascension. This is amazing. This is, this is truly the gospel itself in a nutshell. And I want to look at these things. You know, most of you would say Jesus narrowed it down to one verse. And you could read that verse in about 10 seconds. Why are you spending an hour on this message? Well, I I think what happens is this. We can look at it generically or we can look at it scripturally. And you can see it generically. And and as we declare, it's like, oh, wow, that makes perfect sense. And, And then through that generic answer, the disciples have this grasp. A little light goes on. And and so with that little light goes on, they, they said, you know, now you're speaking plainly. And I don't know what that means. He, he said, I'm, I, you know, came forth from God, came into the world, I'm leaving the world, I'm going forth to God. Said, oh, now we get it. And and then through this, they said, now, now, at the end of verse 30, he says, now, by this we believe. We believe. We got it now, Lord. We're, we're just so spot on now that you revealed that to us. Now, we're, we're ready. We're ready. Well, well. Jesus, in verse 31, said, do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, and yes, has come, that you will be scattered, each of you, to his own, and you will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father's with me. Do you understand? He says, you guys believe? You have this little bit of belief, but understand, your belief is about to be tested. And what happens is this, that in your testing of the belief, you're, it's, it's a pass or fail, you're all going to fail. But it's okay, because the failing of a test isn't the failing of the grade. Do you understand? That we can often fail in the test. Now, what happens is the grade that God gives us is this, that you and I have a tutor. It's called the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Spirit is going to lead us. The Holy Spirit is going to guide us. And on top of that, what happens is this. We also have someone else who's taking the test for us. We have a pinch hitter. Jesus Christ has done the work. He said, all of us have a passing grade if you simply accept me. And this is incredible. But I want you to understand, and I want to just kind of just take a look at these four concepts this morning as we we look to really us understanding that the gospel, as generic as you can make it, is also more profound than any of us could ever understand that we can look at it at the surface and see it in one verse, generically, I came forth from God, I came into the world, I'm leaving the world, I'm forth to God. How easy is that? And that gospel changes lies. But, but why does it change lies? I think it's important to understand the first thing that we looked at where Jesus says very simply, I've come forth from God. Jesus is eternal. He is absolutely, fully God he has been forever existing and dwelling with the Father. That's what the scripture says, that Jesus existed with the Father, and he chose. Understand this. He, he says this, I came forth from the Father. It doesn't mean that there was this, this, this drawing of straws. Jesus got the short straw and said, oh, sorry, son, <laughs> you've got to die. You have to die. You're, you're, you're the one that lost. It wasn't that he drew the short straw. He chose. He chose to do this work. It was something that he desired that we could come into this relationship. So understand that he chose to come to earth. He was not sent against his will. As we recognize here, he says, I have come forth from the Father. Always saying that I was pre-existing, That was true. But that this coming to the earth and, and taking on flesh does not demote in any way his standing and position as God. You have to understand that. This is important to realize. And, and there's that understanding where to realize that he was eternal. That passage that we've you know, already covered there in the beginning of this gospel where in John chapter 1, the first four verses says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, without him, nothing was made that was made, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. We understand that this word, Jesus Christ, John 1:14, this word that would become flesh," was, was there at the beginning with God. Not only was the word with God, but the word was God. This was truly that Jesus Christ was eternal. And I think it's important to note that. A couple of passages, just jot it down. You don't have to turn there. But in Psalm 90, verse 2, as we see this beautiful psalm, it's, it declares this, Before the mountains were brought forth, or you ever had formed the earth or the world, Before anything existed, it says this, even from everlasting to everlasting, you're God. You are eternal. And we understand that this is who Jesus Christ is. And and as we we recognize, it's not just the Old Testament, it's the New Testament as well. When Paul wrote to the church in Rome, jot this one down, Romans 1.20, he made this statement. For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. You understand his eternal power, his internal authority. So, so because of that, the, the very world, everything in it declares that God has been eternal, that he was here long before anything existed or began to exist in our space-time continuum. And so I just find it absolutely amazing to see here what Jesus is declaring. Now he's tried to teach his disciples. He's tried to teach the people. Remember that passage in John 8.58 where he, he made that statement. He says, Before Abraham was, I am. He rejoiced to see my day. It's absolutely amazing that he says, before, before. Even before he was, I am. And they go, wait, wait, get, you're, you're, you're not old. You, you couldn't have been there. He said, but I was pre-existing. He rejoiced to see my day. And so it's, it's amazing to see that when we look to Scripture, that's why we, we stand on that, that point where, you know, Isaiah 96, for unto us a child is born, unto us what? A son is given. So when we recognize the son is given, we begin to see, Lord, I begin to understand a little bit of what it means to say that you were eternal. Now, why is that important in the gospel? Because it wasn't just a man who came to die for us. It wasn't just a good man. It wasn't an amazing teacher. God himself came down. God says, I created you. You are lost to me. But don't worry, because not only did I create you, but I will redeem you. It's God who loves us. It's God who chooses us. So keep in mind that this isn't an incredible thing. It's just not a good man who's trying to point the way to God. It's God coming down to man to hold our hands and to bring us back to God. He's the one who does the work. We're the one who receives the work. And so it's important to understand within the gospel that Jesus is God. He has always been God, will always be God. And this is why he says, listen, I came forth from the Father. I am and have always been and will always be eternally God. This is the beautiful thing. And then he makes this next statement. Not only he says, I came forth from the Father, he says, and I've come into the world, the Incarnation. Not only is Jesus eternal, but but the incarnation. Not only is Jesus fully God, but guess what? Jesus is fully man. This is beautiful. Now, when Jesus assumes a human nature, when he comes on and he takes on flesh, keep in mind that what he does is it's a complete and perfect union with his divine nature. Let me say that again. When Jesus takes on a human nature, when he takes on flesh, it is an absolute perfect and complete unity with his divine nature. It's not like he stops being God. He just clothes himself as God. He puts on this new nature. So keep in mind that, yes, Jesus is fully 100% God. Everything about him is God, has always been God, and will always be God. But at the same time, Jesus is also 100% man, and he is 100% man. And as he does, keep on mind that Jesus now takes on flesh. Why? So that he can become one with mankind. Do you understand that he can relate to us? That he can understand our weaknesses. He's literally tempted in all points as we were, as we are. He's gone through this. He understands our weaknesses. He understands the the, the limitations of the human body. Jesus has been tired. He's been exhausted. He's needed to sleep. Do you understand that that he understands us? And as he becomes perfectly one with mankind, Jesus here takes on flesh so he can dwell among us. And this is the beauty of what he does. And and as, as he comes in, he wants to live among us and minister to us and what's going to happen is while he's here among us he does something amazing he preaches the gospel of peace his first words are repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and as he talks about this understanding that he requires all men to have repentance of sin and the acceptance of this gift of grace He teaches us that that what he's about to do, we haven't earned. What he's about to do, we cannot earn. But he comes as the representation of all men. Keep in mind, as Adam was the first man, and and this is where I think is the first Adam bomb. He blew it. (laughs) He bombed there in the Garden of Eden. He, He didn't make it. He sinned. And because of that, that sin nature It was passed on to every single descendant of Adam. And because he was the representation of all men, we all take on that sin nature that Adam had. Jesus now comes as the representation of God. But he comes what? He comes as a man. And what he does is this, that he now becomes that last Adam. First Adam blew it, the last Adam is this. He's the one who now gives this gift of life. The first Adam gave the gift of death. We all are separated. The last Adam gives the gift of life. This is why he now becomes this man, that he comes to this point of saying, I need to be a representative of mankind because it cannot just be God who dies for you. It has to be a man who dies for mankind. And so he humbles himself, he becomes a man. He's there as God, humbles himself, becomes a man. And he's going to truly preach this wonderful good news to all men. And while he's here, he's going to do what? He's going to do signs and wonders. He's going to preach the good news. He's going to show that no man does what he does. In other words, it's a stamp of approval that what? That he is who he says he is. Because remember, when he told that paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And, and he, they, they looked at him, so who can forgive sins but God? And he goes, which is more difficult, to say your sins are forgiven or tell a man who's, who, who cannot walk? Hey, stand up, take up your bed and walk, which is harder. Well, it's, it's, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven because you don't need to have any evidence or proof of authority. You can simply say anything you want. But when you say, arise, take up your bed and walk, you better have some power. You better have some authority over the physical and over the spiritual. And he lets them know when the man stands up, takes up his bed and walks, that he does have authority over the physical, which is evidence of what? That I have authority over the spiritual. When I say to this man, your sins are forgiven You can take that to the bank because I'm showing all these other evidences of who I am, that I am God. I have that power. I have that authority. There was never, ever a man who was born blind and then received his sight until Jesus Christ. Now, what Jesus would do is this. He would continually try to teach the people the reality of God's heart versus their concept of what the law was in their traditions. And he tried to move them from their traditions to really come to the heart of what the law is. Now, when it came to the law, they had to know one thing. You can't keep it. You can't keep it because with the law, it makes this statement that if you fail in one point of the law, just one point of the law, You fail the entirety of the law. Think about it this way. Some of us had kindergarten. I don't know why I never had kindergarten. I didn't go to kindergarten. I went to first grade first, so I never had a kindergarten. But but most of us had, what, about 12 years of school. Can you imagine, just think about this for a moment, that from kindergarten through your senior year, if you were to make one mistake on any paper, on any quiz, on any test. Let's just say that you're learning your alphabets. And I don't know if you've ever seen little kids do that. Rather than making a B like this, they make a B like that. They reverse it. And if you did that, you fail. You would never be able to graduate. Can you imagine that one mistake? In in all 12 years of school, you don't get to have that wonderful thing of, oops, I just made a mistake. I was only a kindergartner. you, You still fail. One mistake, and you absolutely fail the entirety of the program, and that's what happens. Not only were we born with the sin nature, which means that we were born in failure, then we proved it by sinning. And this is why Jesus comes and why he he comes and he preaches this gospel of grace that he wants to declare this, I've come as God to go to the cross. And when I go to the cross, what I've come to do is this, I've come to give the fallen man who is in darkness, I've come to give them light. I've come to give fallen man who was there dead in their sins and trespasses, I've come to give them life. This is what Jesus Christ has come to do. And he came not just to change the law he said i come to fulfill the law i didn't come to even to change a little a little mark on the law i came to fulfill it all and completely so we see that not only is jesus eternal he's fully god but jesus begins to share with us that yes i'm fully god but keep in mind i am fully man i am a representative of man I now can become what is known as your kinsman redeemer. One who is like you. I've become a man. And and as God, he now becomes a man. Because we we take a look at that passage, what? Unto us a child is born. Unto us the son is given. The son which was eternal, I've come forth from God, but I've come into the world. We see that God now becomes fully man. And, and it was God that became man. Make no mistake about that. You guys know the passage there in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, where the, the spirit, the angel is speaking to Mary, and and where, where he says, listen, you, you've got to understand that, that through you is going to come the, the Messiah. And she goes, how can these things be? And in verse 35 of Luke 1 the angel says to her, The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. You understand, it's the Holy Spirit. He has the very nature of God. This is the one thing that separates Jesus from all men. If Joseph was his father, He would have had the sin nature, thus he could not have died for others. He could have only died for himself. That would be it. And, And then so with that, keep in mind that his nature was not the nature of Adam that was passed on from generation to generation. His nature was what? The very nature of God. The nature that Adam had that Adam threw away. As we see this, I want you to understand this beautiful understanding where this not only was Jesus the, the word who was there in the beginning with God, and this word was God, but John 1:14, that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is important to understand. It's important to kind of grasp because when we see what Jesus has done, we recognize this eternal word becomes flesh. We see that he was the light, but that that was the true light which gives life to every man coming into the world. Every man can now understand, yes, I can now understand how I could be redeemed to God. It's, it's not through my works. It's not through the law. It's through the work of Jesus Christ and only the work of Jesus Christ. There's a passage I want you to be aware of found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Let me just read it to you. It's just a powerful word, but it says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And if you're thinking, wow, I'd love to know the the answer to what the mystery of godliness is, and he says this, God was manifested in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed, believed, on in the world and received up in glory. It's so important to realize that Jesus Christ, who, as he makes this declaration, I've come forth from God. I am fully God. He says, I come into the world. I'm incarnate. I'm fully man. But now he says this, and this is where the the key comes in. He, He says, not only have I come forth from the Father and I've come into the world again, I leave the world. Now to us, it's very generic. I'm going to leave the world, but, but boy, what a way to leave. When we leave the world, this is how I want to leave the world. I want to be there in my deathbed. I want to have my children and grandchildren around me. I want them to know that I have lived a life in which I have no regrets And in that life, I want them to celebrate the fact that they will see me again. That my children and my grandchildren will have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And then I want to do this. I want to close my eyes. I want to go to sleep here and I want to wake up in heaven. That's how I want to leave this world. Jesus did not do it that way. Do you understand? With Jesus' death, it wasn't his death death that redeemed us not just his death he didn't come to the earth and he went to sleep and then he went to heaven he didn't die that way he was sacrificed it was brutal and bloody he was sacrificed that's how he left the world he was beaten and scourged and hung upon a cross with with a crown of thorns pressed upon his skull He was there with the nails there in his hands and in his feet, and he suffered brutally. Jesus would leave this world in a brutal, brutal fashion as he would allow himself to be placed upon a tree, the cross. He willingly went to this cross. He allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. Keep in mind, you can't nail God to a cross if he doesn't want to. And as we look to this, I love the fact that that he would go to that cross and he would pay the full price of our redemption. There would be nothing lacking. There would be nothing that was left to ours because he would simply say this it is finished. God came to earth became a man, lived as a man, preached the gospel, walked with us, proved he was God, became the kinsman redeemer, and then he redeems us. And so after he would pay the price in full, he would do what? He said, I'm going to ascend to heaven. But don't worry, don't worry. In the same way that I've gone up to heaven is the same way that I'm going to come back to heaven. I'm going to come back. And I love the fact that he's going to return this God who left the world, the living world, in a brutal fashion, now leaves the world in that physical sense, both his crucifixion and his ascension. And so we, we see here, and I love how, you know, John the Baptist, when he first sees the Lord, he says what? John one twenty nine? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the Lamb of God. This is he. John would Um, Jesus would save himself there in John 3 14 he says just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up he talked about the way in which he would die he talked about how he would redeem us from our sins he said I must go to the cross I have to be lifted up this is what I need to do and I, I love his heart because We begin to see more and more what God means when he makes those declarations. There's a passage I want you to jot down just so that you can fully grasp what what I believe that the scriptures is wanting us to understand. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to read to you verses 3 and 4. It makes a statement when Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, he says, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. I received this from the Lord and I'm giving it to you, which is about what we're going to do with communion in just a few minutes. He received from the Lord and he's giving it to us. This is not his work, not his declaration. This is passing on the information that God himself declares. And so he said, I received, I delivered to you First of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Isaiah 53, he said how he would die. Psalm 22, he said how he would die. He, he, Over and over in Scripture, he declares that he had to die according to what? According to the way that Scripture said he would die. There could be no other way. And then he says this, verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 15. And that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Do You understand, he did nothing new. Everything that he did was that which was proclaimed that he would do. And so I want you to understand that within this crucifixion, within this resurrection, within this ascension, it would be what? According to the scriptures that we could have full faith and confidence that this is Jesus Christ, this is who he is, this is what he's done, because we recognize this is your work, has always been your work, and we're going to worship you because of this work. And so when we come to this understanding, we, we, we grasp that here Ephesians 1 Verse 7 says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That his dying on the cross, we have redemption. The redemption is through, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. As as he literally allowed his blood to be shed, we can receive the forgiveness of sins. And we recognize that what he does is this that he brings us along the journey. What do I mean by that? When Jesus does something in the physical sense, he imparts it to us in the spiritual sense, which is why what? We can say, I've been crucified with Christ. As he was crucified physically, I'm in him. I was crucified spiritually. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In this life, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I recognize that this is your heart. This is who you are, and I've been crucified with you. This is beautiful. There's a passage in Romans. Let me read it to you. In Romans chapter 4, verse 25 a glorious verse but let me just share it just jot it down but he makes this statement who was delivered up this is Jesus going to the cross who was delivered up because of our offenses do you understand that he didn't go to the cross for his sins he went to the cross for our sins not only was he delivered up for our offenses but it says this and was raised because of our justification. Do you understand he went to the cross because of our sin? Not not his, ours. As he goes to the cross because of our sin, he was raised because the work was sufficient. Do you understand? He was raised because of our justification. He was raised because we're now at a place of just as if we've never sinned. This is what God has done when Jesus went to the cross and and he goes and he comes to this place and he was delivered because of our offenses. This is the crucifixion. This is why he leaves the world. But not only does he leave the world in the crucifixion that he was literally delivered up because of our sins, but then he leaves the world in that reality sense through the ascension and he was raised up because of our justification. Do you understand that he now is able to leave the grave because his work was enough. His work was sufficient. In fact, it was more than efficient. It was more than enough to redeem every man, woman, and child of all time. It was able to redeem mankind of the sin nature that we receive from Adam. As we look to this, it's so important to see this is the gospel so generically. God comes to earth. God becomes a man. God hangs on a tree and dies. And as he dies for our sin, he does what? He comes out of the grave, and he's able to go to the Father because, keep in mind, it simply means what? The sacrifice was accepted. You understand that in the Old Testament... All the sacrifices were placed, what was known on the bronze altar. And the reason it was there is it was all smoke and flame. And what would happen is as the smoke was ascending, they understood what? It was going up to God. God was receiving the substitutional blood of the sacrifice for me. And this is the amazing thing. We looked at this truth when we went through the book of Hebrews, and I'm still blown away by it. Remember when the book of Hebrews taught about Jesus Christ being a sacrifice for us and we looked at the Old Testament and we saw how the people of the Old Testament, what they would do is this. They would bring a lamb and the priest, the priest would inspect the lamb. I love the fact that the priest wouldn't expect, inspect the guy bringing the lamb. So so keep in mind that I could have one eye, I could have one arm, and I could bring the lamb, and he'd say, wow, it's perfect. Now, not you're perfect, but it's perfect. Do you understand? The inspection was of that which was going to be sacrificed. The inspection was of that which was going to shed its blood on my behalf. And this is the amazing thing. Do you realize when you come to God, he doesn't inspect you? If he did, he'd laugh and he'd walk away better luck next time. What God does is this. He inspects the lamb, the lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. And he sees the lamb and he goes, this sacrifice is perfect. It has always been perfect. And, and as this is God who now becomes flesh We recognize that as he's here on earth, in the nature of man, he does not sin. He does not compromise. He fulfills everything that God declares him to do. He lives the life that Adam was supposed to live. And then he goes to the cross and he dies. Now keep in mind that that he should not have died. He should not have died. He was perfect. He was sinless. And, and, and keep in mind, the wages of sin is death. He didn't have any sin, but he took our sin upon him, all of our sin upon him, and he paid that price. He died. This is beautiful to understand, to see what God is trying to speak to us. So we understand the crucifixion is absolutely necessary because blood does have to be shed for our sin. But not only that, and this is where it becomes so beautiful, That Jesus says, simply, I came forth from the Father. I was eternal, fully God. I came to earth. I was fully man, incarnation. And then he says this, I left the world. Again, I leave the world. I leave it in a brutal fashion. I leave it through the cross. And he says this, I go to my Father, the ascension. Now understand, as Jesus is talking about this ascension, when Jesus is resurrected, he's going to return to the Father. He's going to go back home and, and he's going to return to heaven with the wounds that he received here on earth. And as he comes to heaven with those wounds that he received from man, understand, he is going to, when he goes to heaven, take his rightful spot sitting beside the Father. And he's going to be there for eternity And as he's there besides the father, we recognize that he says, but I'm not going to leave you down here. It's not like I'm going to do the work and I'm going to head out, but I'm going to come again. I'm going to receive you unto myself. And when I do that, we recognize that he is going to be man's advocate. He is going to be the intercessor. He is going to be the redeemer. He's going to return to heaven with the purchase price of the world and you and me. Do you understand what he's done? He's coming and he's redeemed the world, and he takes the scroll back to heaven. And they see they go back to heaven, they say, "Who's worthy to, to open the scroll?" And I understand that scroll is in the hand of God Almighty. They say, "Who's worthy? Who can really open the scroll? God could not. They were weeping because God could not. God, the Father did not purchase. The one who purchased was Jesus Christ. He said, oh, don't weep, John, don't weep. Behold the Lamb of God. He is able to open the scroll and to loose its seals. He's able to recognize he's purchased the world and us back to himself. This is beautiful to see because as we are recognizing What? that he, as Romans 4.25 says, he was delivered up because of our offenses. He went to the cross because of our sins. We couldn't do it for us. And he was raised because his work on the cross was enough. He was raised for our justification. God sees us as justified, says the sacrifice is enough. Come on up. I want to receive this sacrifice to myself. I want to fully accept the sacrifice to what it is that that you've offered to me. And this is what's absolutely beautiful when it comes to that understanding of what God has done and how God works. There's a passage, let me read it to you, found in Acts chapter 17. In Acts 17, just two verses I want to read. I want to read verses 30 and 31. This is when Paul was there in Athens. But he makes a statement. Acts 17, 30 and 31, as he's speaking of God, he says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has uh, ordained. He has given him assurance of this by raising him from the dead. We will all be judged. Keep in mind So these times of offenses, God has overlooked. Now we will all be judged by one thing, by our relationship to Jesus Christ. That's the judgment. There is no other judgment. He's taken all sin upon himself, and now we either receive Christ as God, as our Lord, as our Savior, or we do not. And so as we come to this, I think it's so important to recognize where he says he's given all assurance of this to be this to all by raising him from the dead he said through this man's death your acceptance is made and he's going to judge all men by this point and only by this point will we be judged and this is just a, a glorious truth that we begin to see that we begin to understand there's a passage let me read it to you in first thessalonians chapter 4 verse 14 it makes this statement for if we believe that jesus died and rose again even so god will bring with him those who sleep in jesus if we believe is basically that through the heart one simply believes but through the mouth confession is made unto salvation we need to speak forth those things that we believe. We need to declare those things that God opens up, that God begins to share. We know what God has done. First Timothy chapter 3:16, it says this: God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. God took him back home. The work is finished. And I think it's important for us to gravitate and to recognize what it is this gospel declares. So when we see this, I want you to know that Jesus has, in a very generic way, verse 28 of John 16, I came forth from the Father, come into the world. Again, I leave the world, I go to the Father. That, the disciples now are blown away. Whoa, that's heavy, Lord. That's amazing, Lord. Now, now you are speaking plainly. Okay. But I love the fact that Jesus accepts the disciples' imperfect understanding of what he's just stated. Do you understand that we don't have to fully understand the depth of it, but we can have a little light that's illuminated. I get it, I get it. He says, oh, you, you, you get it, what, what you've gotten, you get, but there's more to get. And understand that you can begin to grasp things, but you don't fully understand all things. Keep in mind that you can know how to count. That doesn't mean that you can do your taxes. You got to know a lot more than that. In fact, you need help somewhere. There used to be a time where you could just do your taxes at home, and now you need programs, and you need accountants, you need everything else because you just can't do it. It's too complicated. And I understand that you can do numbers, but numbers don't allow you to do what? Well, I have grandchildren. They're, they're learning the basics. My one granddaughter, she, she loves math. And I think she loves math because all she does is she adds one or she minuses one to whatever number that's there. And if that was all that math entitled, I'd love math too. But math goes beyond that. Math goes beyond the algebra, geometry, all these other things that, that math begins to do. And if we could just add one, subtract one, that's easy. But just because you can add one and subtract one, you know your numbers doesn't mean what? Doesn't mean you know math. It means you know that much of math. And I'll tell you what, she can add one and subtract one and she is thrilled. She loves math. And I'll tell you what, I love the fact that she's thrilled. I love the fact that Nina can add one and she can subtract one and she tells me about it. And I even test her periodically. Okay, what's four plus one? What's one more than four? Five. Yes! You know math! But understand, she only knows that of math, but we celebrate that victory And even now, the disciples, they know a little bit. And I love what Jesus does. He celebrates their victory. But he warns them. He warns them that this level of their faith, this level of their understanding is going to be tested. So no matter how much we know, understand, faith will be tested. You can have a little faith. God is going to test that little faith. You can have a lot of faith. God's going to test that faith too. And the more you know, the more you grow, the more the faith will be tested. Why? Well, the, the, the stronger the metal, the more power it takes to bend and break. And what happens is the stronger your faith, the more God's going to test it to say, look how strong it is. Look at, it takes now this much strength to bend it. It takes this much strength to break it. It takes this much now to do, to challenge your faith and to test your faith. And so what happens is this, when my faith grows, it's like, "What? God, you have grown me. You have matured me." And 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 so when my faith fails, like it's always going to fail. And it will. All of our faith will fail at some time. Then he says, "What? Look how you've grown. Look how you've grown." And I love the heart of Jesus. I love what he does. And, of course, as we get into Wednesday and we begin to see this high priestly prayer of John 17, it's going to be even more amazing to see how he moves and how he ministers. But I want you to grasp this, that Jesus breaks it down to such a generic, generic level. And they received it. And as they receive that generic level, what we begin to see is this. He gives them credit for whatever light is there. Now, they think it's a great light. They go, whoa, do we now know truth? They go, yep. You know numbers. You know what's one up, one down from whatever number I give you. You guys are solid here. But I love the fact that he accepts that and and that even that little bit of faith is enough. When it comes to that faith, this is what we're going to see when it comes to communion. When you come with whatever understanding you understand about communion, guess what God's going to say? If you're doing it for me, it's enough. Isn't that amazing? Receive fully my joy, receive fully my work receive it because it's yours may we come into that understanding recognizing that god you can give us generics and if we can grasp it it's enough but if we're ready you'll give us deeper and deeper truths and these are the things that we're able to receive ourselves and to share with others amen Amen. father we are so grateful for this your word thank you lord for getting me through without hacking Thank you, Lord, for the abundance of water that's here at the pulpit. Father, as we also receive the fullness of your Spirit, torrents of living water, torrents of life. We ask that we would be those who understand the fullness of what this gospel is, that we would be able to preach the gospel, not only in its simplicity, but in its purpose. And also, Lord, if we are, if you so will us, in this complexity too, we can fully understand that you came forth from God, you were eternal, you came into the world, you were incarnate, you left the world in a brutal fashion, crucifixion and ascension, and you go back to the Father. This is what you've done, and it is sufficient. So we're asking, Lord, that by your grace, by your Spirit, that you would knit us to these truths, Allow us to proclaim these truths boldly to those that you put in our paths. That we would be anchored in them, in awe of you because of them. Worship you because of that. Thank you for making us whole. Thank you for making us right. We just give you our lives and our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.